0: Hey
1: guys. uh, Sorry we're a little late. Um, we have some technical difficulties. Hopefully we can get Megan O'Keefe in uh, here pretty soon. But uh, welcome to MaydayCon 2020. Uh, This is our sixth panel of seven today. Uh, I am your moderator, as I have been all day, David Walters. I just want to say a quick thank you for tuning in. And as a note, as always, as have been for the panels all day, uh, since it's a live feed, you can go ahead and submit any questions uh, or comments. And we'll try to pick some out as time allows. But let's go ahead and begin with some introductions from our panel, and then we can get right down to it. So, uh, Karen, if you want to start us off.
2: Sure. My name's Karen Osborne. Um, my book, Arch- Architects of Memory, it's my debut. It comes out um, on... Uh, Wow! Already stopping. It comes out on August 25th um, of this year, and as you can see, I'm super nervous and very excited about it. Um, It's been a long journey to get here, and I'm just really just glad to be here, so I can't wait to hear what everyone has to say.
3: Paul? Hi, Uh, my name is Paul Kruger. I write anime-flavored garbage in the fantasy genre. (laughs) Uh, My most recent was a book called Steel Crow Saga that came out last fall. It is... uh, kind of my love letter to Pokemon and Full Metal Alchemist, except i then use it to analyze colonialism and the scars it leaves behind. And it just came out in paperback like, oh, hey, I recognize that book, I recognize that book. That's crazy. And uh, also on stream with me is my cat, Wrigley. I
4: couldn't keep her out of the room, so she may pop into frame. All right, Ryan. Yeah. So my name is Ryan Van Lone. I am the author of *The Sin and the Steel*, and I'll, I guess I'll I'll put my book as well. Yeah. There we go. I mean, why wouldn't you? <laughs> really uh, so the actual cover that you'll get in the stores has um, my main character's face on it and a blade and pirate ships, which is really all you need to know about <laughs> *The Sin and the Steel*. Um, coming out from Tor Books, uh, July twenty-first. And I do want to say, uh, Paul, uh, you know, said that he writes, uh, you know, those anime garbage books, but he writes amazing fiction and Steel Crow Saga has so much (laughs) cultural world building in it. And it's only one book and we need more. So, Paul, this is my my pitch to you in front of everyone, in front of the interwebs. Your call out, your call out but it's yeah it'd be a whole sure. hour of this
1: it, it, it's official it now because it's live streamed to youtube so <laughs> all right marina. remember
0: guys people can see us now <laughs> 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 uh, on that note <laughs> i guess i'm marina Lostetter, um <laughs> i'm the author of the new Anon series um the first book looks like this if you're in the u.s it looks like this if you're in the uk uh the last book in the trilogy is coming out in august uh it's really epic science fiction takes place over like millions of years there's ai there's aliens all sorts of good stuff so that's what i'm doing these days
1: awesome and uh megan hopefully can join us soon i I think she's still trying to get in so uh, as soon as she pops in we'll add her in but um i guess we can go and kind of get started uh with our topic so our topic today is the journey of getting published so first off it's kind of a random question but uh can anybody submit a draft to a publisher i mean is an agent a necessity when you do that or do you just send letters and you're like hey can you please read this and try to publish it
4: who wants to take that
1: one
3: (laughs) Uh, it, it depends on the publisher there are some presses none of the like big six based in new york have open submissions policies but mid or smaller local level presses will often have at least, if not open submission policies, then open submission periods. Uh, But um, when you get into big six level publishing, you pretty much need an agent as an intermediary.
4: I do think Tor, Tor used to, and I think they reinstated it, that they do have an unagented slush pile you can submit to you should know that um, they're so slammed with agent submissions that the odds of you getting pulled out of that slush pile are almost nil. Um, so Paul, for all intents and purposes, is right. But I do think you can submit on uh, on tour. And I remember before I got an agent, that was like, I never did it, but that was like the holy grail of like, oh, I could do this, and they would find me. They're not going to find you just because there's just so much coming in, they're going to like cut them off before they ever get to you. Uh, They do read it. I know they read it, but it's very slow. So if you want to wait a couple of years, you're probably better off just going for an agent. I mean, considering you said slush pile, (laughs) I don't don't know if I'd want to send something that. Yeah, that's kind of. I think, and now I'm speaking out of turn here. I don't. I don't work for Tor, obviously, but I think it's more like (laughs) a new editorial assistant, and they're like, "Hey, why don't you cut your chops on reading a couple of those and earmark anything you see that might look good?" So yeah.
2: I forget which editor one, once told me this and, and it's so, so it's apocryphal, but um, it's called a slush pile because it got so high, you'd walk around in it and it like, like slush.
0: <laughs> like snow slush. Yes. And yeah. And we all really go through slush piles. It's not like agents don't have also their own slush piles it's that you nice. have to go through. Um, it's just a different process in that you're looking for an advocate for you for the publisher, right? Uh, where's the publisher just like here, please read this because I don't know, yeah. <laughs> like you said, they've already had, they have so many advocated for manuscripts that the chances that they're gonna get through their actual slush pile at the publishing house is kind of slim, yeah. Oh, right.
4: And the thing is the agent, if you have a good agent and I guess we should probably state up front that- uh, <laughs> We need full disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, all have the same agent um, yeah,
3: friend of the show, Dong Wan Song.
4: <laughs> so, um, and I think he mandated that we specify that, like, he kind of came down from on high to, to pluck us out and then uh, and then put us out there. But um, if you have a good agent, uh, like Dong Wan Song, friend of the show, friend of the show, Dong Wan Song. Um, <laughs> I, I, I sure. hope
3: he's watching this. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but uh, they'll know the market. They'll know what specific editors at houses are looking for. They'll also know who's been submitting what and what's selling, what's not, and they'll be able to tailor it. Not only that, they'll know what the um, common offers are. So they'll know if that's a good offer or a bad offer, what to look out for, what not to look out for. Um, So you can try to go it your own way uh, if you're really, really interested in learning all of that. The problem is you're just not going to be on the inside to get that kind of inside scoop. And so that is just one of many different ways that agents bring a lot of value if you're going to try to submit to like a big, big six or even even some of the smaller ones that are around the big six but are, are starting to get out there. I guess there, it's big five now. Uh,
2: five, we still
3: five. call it the big six, the same way the Big Ten Sports Conference has 11 teams in it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Fair enough, Paul. <laughs> well, there's exactly not a day that goes by where
2: I don't think, like, think whatever powers are out there for the existence of my agent. So
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, I gotcha. Um, so, so, so you have an agent, which you all do. Um, uh, are you involved in the process at all? uh, Once you decide a book is ready to send off to publishers? Or do do they take it off your hands at that point? Uh, I mean, you know, obviously, you you go, I want to submit this and they go, yay or nay. And I guess they just take it from there.
0: it depends on what kind of an agent you have so don is very editorial um so at least in my experience
4: (laughs) Um, so we
0: we give him a manuscript and then he tells us what the heck is wrong with that manuscript and then we fix it and then we might go back and forth several times before he's like yes okay now it's ready let's go send it out into the world um other agents might be more like yeah sure just whatever you have okay if you think it's ready then let's go um so it kind of depends just on your relationship with the agent and what kind of an agent that person is. That makes sense.
3: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dong Juan specifically used to be a book editor uh, in a previous life. You know, he acquired the, the series of books that became the TV show, The Expanse. He worked on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, so even though he's no longer a professional editor, that's what he brings to it. I know other uh, agents who come from a marketing background and they might be more interested in what does the marketplace look like for this book, regardless of where the book is at, uh, narratively speaking, because they might think, oh, that's really something that if I can make the case that the book is sellable, then the editor can worry about fixing up the narrative. So it's going to depend a lot on what kind of agent you have, like Marina said, and what kind of agent you are looking for, if you're somebody who's in the market for representation right now. I got Go ahead.
2: Oh, because there are some agents who will um, who will love to get their hands dirty inside your manuscript and you know help you change things and develop it, and then there are some agents who are who want you to do all the work, um, <laughs> and will be like, well, I'll take it once you're finished with it, but I'm not really interested in um in in developing it sort of like a developmental editor would. And both are equally valid business practices um in in agenting, but you as a writer have to figure out which one you want and which one you'd feel more comfortable uh partnering up with.
5: Um,
1: so next step, you get a publisher to bite. What's the next step?
4: Oh, God. So this is actually a really <laughs> good panel because you will not find this information out there on the interwebs. I know this because, you know, when when I got an agent, I started looking like, okay, what's the next thing? And not to scare if there's any um, any potential, you know, authors on right now watching, not to scare you away, but getting an agent is kind of like summiting Everest and then realizing that there's another bigger Everest. And so... Yeah. <laughs> you're not in
1: the-
4: a small company so um at least in my experience what happens is you get an agent you get to the point where they're ready to submit to a publisher they will tell you they should tell you who are the editors of the specific publishing houses they're going to reach out to and not always why but like they should be able to answer if you say well why these they'll tell you why um they'll submit to them the editor uh, you know sometimes they'll give you a deadline sometimes you get lucky and an editor will say i want to do a preempt which means like they want to get in front of it and like make an offer before everyone else sometimes you'll get an an offer where multiple offers and then you do like an auction and basically it's like a date and a time everybody comes with their best offer and you get a lot of money if you're lucky Um, but the usual pathway is that you submit to an editor they decide that they like it they have to go through something called acquisitions, which is a very painful process where they have to basically get in a room with all the other editors. You know, it varies by house, but like once a week, once a month, they pitch their book. Like why we should buy this book against everybody else's generally like the head person in the room, whether it's the publisher or the head editor, they'll decide which ones they want to go with. And then they have to do a profit and loss statement, which is basically their best guess of, If we give you an advance of this, you'll sell this, we'll make this. It'll be cool. Let's do it. And then the accounting people look at it and they can, at any point in all of this, it could go away. I had, I had my book go up and I'm not going to name the name, but it went up through all the way, like past everything, got to the head person. And they were like, I really don't like ships so um, <laughs> um it was cool because i landed it tour so like i'm really happy But uh,
1: Man, uh, yeah, hey! sorry.
5: <laughs> my computer was having none of it so i'm on my phone and i have no idea what the quality of uh this is gonna be but yeah, meme
3: steak. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Not
5: very tiny and very far away.
3: <laughs> like, we're, we're, we're social distancing, Yeah.
5: <laughs> um,
1: all right, Ryan. If you want to, you want to continue.
4: Yeah. No. So I mean, I, that's generally it. So what'll happen is um, after it's gone through that thing that we call acquisitions, uh, they'll get back to your agent with an offer, and then you know if your agent is like all the other agents, they'll say, ah, that's not an offer. We want more, <laughs> or we want rights, we want something. If you have more more people at the table, you have a lot more leverage. If they're the only ones offering, you know, you can kind of try to make a bluff, but if they call your bluff, it is what it is. And so assuming that the offer is you know, fair and the rights are good and you're both happy with the deal, normally you'll talk to the editor before anything's agreed to. So you find out if you two are compatible and you'll find out what their vision is for your book. And if you're all aligned and you know the stars are aligned at that point, you you make the verbal agreement. The thing that's weird and that you won't find out until like you actually get to that point is that it's actually like uh, six months after you agree and it's announced everywhere that you actually like get the contract and sign it. And so I was going to
0: say a billion years. It feels
3: it
4: like is. a billion. Years. It
3: feels <laughs> <different. It's a laughs> like a billion years or one March twenty
0: twenty. Billion years or one March twenty. Yeah, until you get to that point which is really the painful <laughs> part right
4: <laughs> no word of lie
0: I, I was thinking about
2: like what ryan all, all the time what ryan is describing it's all going on at the publisher and what are you doing as the author
1: yep you're <gasps> wait, waiting wait you mean all this stuff doesn't just happen in one day <laughs> No. <Nope. laughs> No, all these conversations
3: aren't just happening every couple of minutes it's like it happens on tv your agent takes you out to lunch after you've left <laughs> your gigantic new york city apartment then you both go down to the publisher's <laughs> office in person to find the contract like it's the 1880s it's <laughs> like a homework movie <laughs> you pitch
1: your
0: you pitch your book right in person and that's all they need is like 20 words and they're like yes we will buy <laughs>
3: because, yeah, because-, because- we crying publishing executives uh <laughs> could i speak to a slightly different experience of the acquisition process totally yeah it's like, oh. it's like going to a it's like going to a restaurant and asking can i speak to the manager it's like
1: it's like well i'm the manager's like uh, i've got nothing then
3: <laughs> well um so i got into the publishing business on a lottery ticket essentially okay wrigley um and- <laughs> I got in through one of those Twitter contests where you use a hashtag to pitch a book and that was how I sold my first book, Last Call at the Nightshade Lounge. Uh, And I wasn't agented when I sold that book. I had been trying to query it. I had been querying other books that hadn't gone anywhere. And honestly, I wasn't even active on Twitter at the time. I just happened to see it. I had a Twitter account that had cobwebs gathering and just for the fun of it, I tweeted out the prompt and then I accidentally tripped over my first book deal. So I actually came through it ass backwards. Where can I say ass on this? Is it okay if I say ass? You can. Okay, good. If you
1: are going to keep saying it, might as well, right?
3: <laughs> right. <laughs> no, so, um, so I actually got the book deal before I got representation. And when I got the book deal in hand, because I did all the stuff that Ryan was talking about, but I did it without an agent. Um, and it, by the way, just as nerve wracking. Uh, because you don't have an agent to hold your hand the whole time and tell you that everything is normal and to stroke your hair and tell you you're pretty, uh, which are invaluable services that a representative can provide for you. Uh, And it was only when I got the offer in hand that I ended up contacting an agent who had rejected one of my previous queries, but said that she liked what uh, I had put down and she wanted me to come to her first uh, if I ever had anything else. And so I came to her and I was like, uh, I I tried to read this contract and my eyes went crossed. So can you do this for me? Uh, and we worked together on last call. Uh, ultimately I ended up going uh, elsewhere and eventually landed in the company of friend of the show Dongwon Song. Uh, but that was also because I had once again secured a deal on my own for a comic with a company called Webtoon out of Korea. Uh, and I went to Dongwan because we had become friends on the convention circuit. And I was like, listen, I know you're into the stuff I'm into. Uh, I think you'd be a good advocate and I've got this deal here. Can you help me out? So I just want to clarify, you don't necessarily need to get an agent first. It it can help a lot of ways, but there are so many different ways in. Like I said, I came in on the strength of what is essentially a lottery ticket uh, and it worked out for me.
1: Karen, Megan, you want to add anything? I mean, I, I know Megan came in the middle of the question, but...
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I so queried I- for years and years, it feels like. It wasn't years, it was months, but I <laughs> queried for years, and I sent out query letter after query letter after query letter and found my agent on Twitter um, through PitMad, uh, through a PitMad like. so. Uh, it's it's just, you never know where anything is going to come from. You just have to keep your eyes open and you have to keep moving and keep on hustling and um, just keep going.
5: Yeah. I mean, this, this is an industry that rewards like grit and determination, like under uh, over a long enough timeline, like if you keep at it, things will kind of work out. Um, it, my own experience was a little unusual in that I got an offer on the book. And an offer from an agent for the same book within 24 hours of each other um basically yeah marina's laughing because she she was there for this story <laughs> <laughs> um, i got i had um i had one writers of the future and a couple months later i said oh you know i, I finished this manuscript and my friend mike underwood over at angry robot was like hey um you know he saw me post about it on social media and he said you know send send in the manuscript if you want and i was like sure why not so i sent in an angry robot and i sent it to um, sam morgan and joshua bilmas over at jabberwocky at the same time and a couple months later i get you know it was a colored email i don't know angry Robot contacted me and said hey are you going to be at world fantasy in november we'd like to talk to you about the book and i said you know yeah of course i'll be there and i'd love to talk to you guys about it and then literally the next day i got an email from sam and joshua it was like hey are you gonna be a world fantasy we want to talk to you about the book <laughs> and i was like yes and they're like, okay those are the magic words when are you meeting a robot we want to meet with you first <laughs> so that, that's how it ended up working out for me and i, I never necessarily ended up querying because I, I met sam and joshua at some I think it was a World WorldCon San Antonio, and we just really got along. Um, I liked them a lot, um, so I went with my first pick, and that's kind of it. There you go, John. Um,
1: uh, so, so you're you're paired with an editor. I assume you know you're paired with the same editor throughout the entire process of, I guess, that book, or if you're writing a series, throughout the series. Um, so is it fair to say that they, uh, they rip your drafts to shreds and require a ton of rewriting or are all you perfect when you submit your, uh, <laughs> submit
3: your books
5: the first time around?
3: I don't want to brag, but
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, also really quick, someone in the chat wants to know what a pit mad is. Uh, Solomon pit mad is short for pitch madness. Uh, and that's a hashtag where you send out like a log line for your book under the hashtag PitMad. And if an editor likes it or an agent likes it, you send them like a synopsis in the first couple chapters. They like that. They ask for the full. They like that. You guys talk business. That's what PitMat is.
4: Sorry.
5: No, that's good information.
4: Holding it down, Paul. It down.
5: <laughs> so, per
0: David's question, um, <laughs> but, so an editor's job is to edit, right? Like you know, yes, there's an acquiring editor. Sometimes you get acquired by an editor who's not actually your editor editor. Um, And sometimes editors go to different publishing houses in the middle of your series. So you might end up with a different editor throughout. Um, Hopefully you don't, you want your editor to stay the same while you're working on the series. Um, But yeah, they edit. There's, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect book even after it's published. Uh, <laughs> but before it's published is when you get your chances to, you know, fix all the problems and do it over and over again. So I'm sure there are people out there who've had a my editor didn't touch my book experience, but I'm not one of them. So
1: <laughs> I'm sure it's very few and far between.
4: <laughs> well, and you don't want that really. I mean the, the whole point of an editor, hopefully, ideally is that they're bringing something to the table that has you really excited that's why when you had that call with them before you like sign the contract you were like yes this person um like i uh my, my editor at Tor is melissa um she's amazing uh she's been there since like the very beginning like she has these crazy stories about actually staying at um harriet and robert jordan's house uh for a couple of months because like tour didn't have the office space because this was like way back like when they first started but um but yeah, I mean like she pitched me her vision and uh, she asked the right question. She totally got what I was going for with the book and that's what you want. But she does a lot of good things where she will ask questions. One, she does like a structural thing, but then on a line by line item, she'll be like, wait a minute, this person had a pistol in this chapter and here they are in the next scene. There's no pistol, where'd it go? And basically they keep you from like showing your ass to the world, which is not <laughs> a bad thing. So uh, yeah, I mean, I hopefully your editing is at least doing that.
5: Yeah, I mean, a good edit is—it's not dictation; it's collaboration. Like, yeah, it's, it's trying to help you like refine what you wanted, okay. the story you wanted to tell, um, mm-hmm. make it more of that thing. And it, when Breit first called me about Velocity Weapon, um, she Breit's my editor, to talk, you know, what what her idea for the book was before she had even offered, she called and she was like, so. um, you know, 70,000-word manuscript, and it's sort of like a tip of the iceberg situation, so we really want to see all the iceberg underneath. Do you think you could add more points of view and kind of double the word count? <laughs> I thought about it, and I was, yeah, absolutely. And so we took it from, uh, like, science fiction thriller to actual, like, big picture space opera, and that was, that was 100% collaboration, because if I hadn't been on board with that, that's a huge change, you know? Um, so yeah, but I would not have done that if not for her input. Well, and
2: and it's fantastic when your editor really knows what you're trying to do. Um uh, mine John Gunnels at Tor, uh, she really knows what I was trying to do. And so it's kind of like I've never had the experience where you um, where you get um, where you get a comment and she would write like, no, and I'd know exactly what that meant. And it was this very, really cool sort of collaboration where, um, with her, I was able to create a book that didn't exist when Tor bought it. Um, and it was fabulous. And having that level, um, was also good when I told her I wanted to rewrite the back half of its sequel. Um, (laughs) and, and having that level of trust where she was able to go, Okay, <laughs> fine, go ahead. Um, but um, it's, it's really, really good to have those conversations, like Ryan said, uh, because you want your editor to know exactly what you want to do. And you want to be able to have that um, level.
4: Yeah,
1: gotcha. Joe. Um, so what would you this is probably gonna be all over the place? Uh, what would you say a normal Normal because we're obviously in abnormal times, uh, timeline for a book to go from submission to publication because I'm sure it's a long time, but then again, you know, publishers want it within a certain guy, you know, timeline so they can promote it and get you know the big blurbs and reviews and stars and everything. But what'd you say? I guess a normal timeline is
3: falls yeah. fast,
4: you know, my I'm just first- say that up front falls fast, his second Paul's one was fast.
3: Well, so my first book, it took three years worth of, of work in order to get that book out onto shelves. And some of that was about shifting schedules that had nothing to do to me, with me. And some of that was about editorial stuff that was made like kind of late stage. But point is, my first book took three years to get to a shelf from uh, the first sale. My second book took 11 months and three days. So there are all kinds of timeframes, all of which are equally valid. I just so happened to have a book that, in Steel Crow Saga, that my editor um, thought we could get into shape uh, in time for a fall next year slot. And they just so happened to have an opening in their release schedule, so a lot of things happened to slot into place. Because also, even if my book were ready for the show, The day it was sold, there's still the publisher's schedule to be contended with. And even if you got a book that's perfect, if they don't have room for you in the schedule, then they don't have room for you in the schedule. And my publisher, Del Rey, just so happened to have an opening. Uh, So I was able to take advantage of that and get my book out uh, really, really fast. Uh, So there's so many factors of how long it takes a book to gestate and come out that have actually very little to do with you as an author. And that's maybe the that's maybe the strangest transition to make when you go from writer to author, because writing is a hobby that can be a job, author is a job. And when you become part of a larger industry, like you're a very important cog in the machine, but you are only one cog in a very big machine. Um, and sometimes you just can't affect the way those other cogs are gonna
4: spin. And I think I think you for your first novel, you don't want it to go too fast like mine is going to be oh God, I think we yeah, 2018, July 2018 is when the deal was announced. And, uh, you know, this year, July will be when it comes out. So two years, but there's so much that goes on with, you know, you have to do uh, editorial work. Um, There's cover design, there is promotional stuff. There's all these other things. There's a lot that goes on because it's actually a, a business as Paul alluded to there. And then you, that's not even talking about the publication schedule, which Paul really hit off, off the charts there, because really it comes down to who's going out that month. Like your publisher knows who they're putting out and maybe they have a sense of who other people are putting out. They don't want to put you a debut out when they're launching like two of their bestsellers in fantasy, if you're a fantasy author, because you're going to be competing directly with them. So they got to find that space. All that to say, you should be really, really patient. More time is not a bad thing. That gives you more time to write the next book and the book after that and the book after that, because you should be treating this like a career. It's not just a one shot thing. So I wouldn't get too hung up on it, but know that it's gonna move at a slower pace than you think it should. And when you're in the middle of it, you'll be glad that it was as slow as it is.
0: But it'll be yeah. very
4: slow, and then it'll be very fast. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Bookside yeah. is
0: very slow, and then you'll get something that's like, "Can you have these copy edits back in two weeks?" <laughs> Suddenly, so, out of the blue, and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> shoot. Okay, I guess that's
5: what I'm doing now for the next two weeks." <laughs> so. Totally. Yeah, the yeah. industry is very hurry up and wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Hey, you're either waiting or you're going warp ten. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and I can't imagine you know having a debut that's that's ready to come out and they decide to which i'm assuming they don't uh which you know ryan kind of alluded to but you know not going up against somebody who's got a big readership because like your book kind of gets dwarfed at that point and so it's nice knowing that okay maybe we can wait just a little bit longer let that settle and then and then i can hit you know with my with my book Mm -hmm. um because man you know it, it would be very deflating, you know, to wait two years and then your book finally come out and it's just, it's just overshadowed.
3: Yeah. My yes, debut moved twice for that reason. Mm. Yeah. Anybody else got any other thoughts on this? <laughs> I, well, I guess the I mean, other thing I would add, oh, sorry.
5: Oh, sorry, Paul. didn't mean to talk over you.
3: No, I didn't mean to talk over you. <laughs> I was going to say that as disheartening as it might feel to wait, the thing you have to remember is that once your book is out on shelves, readers aren't actually going to care about how long the book took to come out. They're not going to have a little tab in their head that says, well, this book came out in this year, but they didn't have another book on shelves till five years later. They're just going to be like, oh, here are two of Ryan's books. Here are two of Marina's books. Uh, So even though that's a big deal to you, the author, and that's a totally valid feeling, uh, which is why it's good again, to have an agent to talk you off of the cliffs and stuff. It's really not going to matter at the end of all of it. It's not going to be what readers connect with. Readers are going to connect with the work and having more time to make your work the best it can possibly be so that it can maybe stand the test of time and be something that's still stocked on shelves 15 years, 20, 50 years later, instead of going straight into like the bargain bin after a year. Like, That's a huge asset that I feel like we don't always take the time to appreciate when we're stuck in the machinery of the industry.
2: And when I um, my book was announced the same time as Ryan's, and it's been two two years, and it'll be two years and some some odd uh, months until it comes out in August. And um, it honestly doesn't feel like it took two years. It feels like yesterday I got up and 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 got that letter in the mail. Uh, it. And um, I've been very grateful for that time, so I I agree completely.
5: I'm stealing this idea wholesale from Tim Powers, Um, but basically, he he said a long time ago, and he he said it to a lot of lot of new writers that he's mentored that he's never understood like the rush to meet the deadline. That he always wants, like, if he needs more time, like he sees it coming, and he asks for it um, because he wants that book to be as good as possible, because People aren't going to remember that he met his deadline in 10 years. They're just going to remember how good the book was. So, if he wants the time, he asks for it. Like, if he thinks it'll really help. um, So, the weight, like like I said previously, like over a long enough timeline, like all these things just sort of shake out, right? So, the weight isn't too bad if you're thinking about it as an opportunity to really like polish the product and make sure the book is as good as you can make it in that time. Mm
1: Yeah, I can imagine the only people that really care about having to push deadlines. I mean, obviously, you know, editing and so forth of that. But as far as like readership goes, like you know, if you're waiting for the third book in a trilogy or something and it gets extended, and then you yeah. have all of these, you know, readers who believe that their, you know, they're, their opinions matter, and they start, you know, clamoring and going, "Why is it taking so long?" You know, I mean, we we had a you know conversation about earlier, which is beating a dead horse, you know, about the 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 newest. Uh, You know, Song of Ice and Fire book about Martin or Rothfuss's third book in his trilogy, and it's like, Why are these people taking so long? But it's because they wanna make sure, and I'm sure you can all test this, that they're putting the best thing out possible. Because if they don't, and somebody which somebody will still find something to complain about, but you know, if they don't, they'll be like, All right, well I'm gonna lose readership because this book was not as good as my previous and then you know, what what's next? So uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's that holds true for everybody, but I feel like that's kind of you know, part of it because you want to make sure that what you put out is your best attempt.
3: No, definitely. Every cone of ice cream I eat is in service of making a better book. Every episode of anime I watch is in service of making a better book. <laughs> so I make those sacrifices for my readers every single day, and I'll continue to eat all that ice cream and watch <laughs> all that anime until I've made the best book that I can and I do that out of love.
5: <laughs> <You're> so, <laughs> brave. so brave,
4: <laughs> true hero, true hero. Uh, I mean, I I can't imagine the pressure that those types of authors are under. Oh, um, oh no! You there's there because I think the other thing that that you don't realize until you're in is how many people are involved with your book, in that literally I tried to. We'll talk about it now and then i'm going to try to like i'm gonna to have to drink a lot of cocktails tonight to forget this but <laughs> there there are so many people whose jobs literally are like depending upon you selling books and these are people who work a lot for very little in return and one of the most expensive places in the world to live and they're all really great people i've been to tour a couple of times i got lucky because i don't live that far away from new york city to so go in and hang out with these people they're all incredibly nice and all of them are doing everything possible to make your book amazing so yeah i can't imagine the pressure of knowing that like if you're a Martin or a Rothfuss, when your book comes out if it sells the way it should sell you're going to bankroll that you know that publisher or at least that imprint for the next x number of years yeah they're I mean, subsidizing yeah. all of us right <laughs> i mean the reason why we're getting advances isn't because publishers have like these you know, uh, rich donors behind them, sitting there investors. No, none of that. It's because Brandon Sanderson, um, you know, it's because Susan Collins, it's because, oh God, I'm blanking on her name. The Twilight, the Twilight author. All the YA authors I know are like, thank God she's putting that out this year because that's gonna mean that we're gonna get like advances next year because of that. So it's definitely, it's definitely deeper than you realize.
1: I was about to say why is going to come back this year because she's got a book out, and then uh, is it Suzanne Collins, The Hunger yeah. Games? You yeah, know, she's got yeah. another one coming out. So, it's man, like why like, like- is going to get super hot again? Granted, it hasn't really cooled down at all, but I, I can imagine why that, that all those authors so are like, crap, I'm gonna get a book out. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah,
3: I why, why I never went away. When all of them are gone and dust, (laughs) YA will still be there. Even if the book isn't YA, it's still going to get tagged as YA. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because YA's still. Um, So how much, uh, you know, with with a big publisher like Tor or with a publisher like Orbit uh, or even Del Rey, how much influence do you have in, like, cover art? Or is it just something that The artist you know they send it to an artist they read a little bit of the book and they base it based on what they read
0: i just got to see sketches so i also have um, a fantasy series that's starting next year um the series is called the five penalties and the first one's called the helm of midnight um and i just got to see a cover sketch and so my editor sent it to me and was like hey what do you think so i'm sure in that case if i was like oh my god no that you know something would have happened. But in this case, I was like, oh my God, yes, right? So, <laughs> um, and then even with the Numenon books, books, um, David Pomerico, my editor, well, before we started, he was like, all right, give me some cover artists that you like, you know, like give me some names. And then found somebody and he was like, here's three sketches, which do you like? We'll run with that one. So I've been lucky in that I've gotten to give input. Um, I know other authors haven't been as lucky, but I feel like I've been part of the process every time I've gone through it, so.
2: As an author, you don't always get to have that um, input, and sometimes it's about what's in the contract. Um, like, So it comes back to having that uh, level of trust and um, confidence in the collaboration you're doing with your publisher. Gotcha.
3: Yeah. 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 Uh, sorry. No, you're uh, good. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I had absolutely zero input in the cover design of my first book. which. You know, I was given to expect that, so I wasn't surprised. And I'm happy with that cover. But for my second book, yeah, I didn't get to call the shots exactly. Uh, But part of it is that I had that editorial conversation that Ryan alluded to. And so I knew that my editor, Trisha, was on the same page as me with a lot of stuff. And so I knew that even if she didn't consult me, she would know the right tonal references to draw from. And like, frankly, Steel Crow Saga is a book with so many things going on in it I had no idea how to distill all that down into a single image, and it is Trisha's literal job to figure that out. So I figured best to leave it to the professionals. She asked me, uh, do you mind if I use these kinds of <clears throat> reference points? Do you have any any feelings about it? And like the main thing I told her was just that this is a book about Asian people written by an Asian author, sold by an Asian agent, to an agent uh, to an Asian editor. Give me an Asian cover artist. Uh, and I trust you to do all the rest." And she absolutely delivered. She turned in the kind of thing that I never could have thought of myself because my competency is strictly in words and I flounder if I get into anything else.
0: That is nothing to remember. It's a piece of marketing, right? And we're not yeah. marketers.
5: <laughs> That's not our job. They know how to do that.
3: <laughs> yeah, I have 100%. They're actually, Velocity
5: Weapon, um, so I, previously, one of my jobs was as a graphic designer for a publisher of medical uh, textbooks, kind of randomly. Uh, but Velocity Weapon actually has some of my my art on the cover, like all of the logos and things like that. Um, oh, the nice map really in the cool. beginning, the little like, chapter break designs, I, I made them, so that is my art. But the rest of it is, is Lauren's design um, plus Sparks' art, which she's just incredible when they told me For those who aren't familiar with Sparth, he did a a lot of concept art for video games, including the Halo games, which I absolutely love. And they told me they were getting Sparth to paint my spaceship. I was like, oh, this is the greatest. So I just let them roll with it.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, unless you're you're a big name author, you're not going to have it in your contract likely that you're going to have any say in the cover art. Um, I think my experience was with some of the others uh, we Don Juan and I kind of said what we thought might make sense. Um, my editor was in, in similar alignment. It does help, Paul alluded earlier, our um, agent was an editor at Orbit and acquired some, some bigger names at the time, including um, Shawna McGuire writing as uh, Mira Grant and others. So that helps in that conversation. Um, but ultimately, like we gave Tor some ideas and they came back with a cover sketch and then they showed us the cover they actually threw away a cover i never even saw they were like don't even worry about it so i was like okay um, <laughs> but but honestly if i at the end of the day i think as an author especially a new author you might have like nobody likes anyone who's being difficult you might have one time throughout your your career like up to that first book where you could be really difficult over something so like you need to choose where you're gonna have your battle um, I don't think I've been difficult yet. Hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> but like, you're, you're likely not going to win it at cover art, um, unless like you have a really good argument for why you think that doesn't make sense. For example, if you have a uh, person of color main character and the cover art shows white people, that would be a bad thing. So like that one, you're going to have more over versus like, well, you know, I wanted more red in the cover. Like that's. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: And like you talk about the big names. Like Jim Butcher very famously has specified that his character, Harry Dresden, does not wear a hat. And Yet, on the cover of every single Dresden Files book, Harry Dresden is wearing a hat, and he's tried to bring this up to his publisher before, and his publisher just came back with the argument, a hat can convey both a detective and a wizard, so we're doing it. Uh, yeah, and even is, his two books that are coming up, both have them. Yeah, no, because they understand the marketing and mm-hmm. Butcher, for his part, seems to understand it too. He throws in the occasional joke in the text about Harry, where Harry's talking about how, like, oh, I'd never wear a hat or stuff like that, but <laughs> those books come out and he's wearing a hat because they know that that's going to convey what needs to be conveyed to the readership. And could you imagine if
1: they have another cover that doesn't have a hat? If people are going to have their minds blown. How many books (laughs) has he written in that series now? He's like 16, 17? 16, 17 17 come out this year.
4: Yeah. It'll be 17 in September. I mean, yeah. watch
1: you know, watch 18, he doesn't have a hat, and people are be like,
3: like oh, this isn't Jimmy. A- he seems like neither a detective nor a wizard. <laughs> hey, like, oh, well, I'm not buying
4: this book. Yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um,
0: 17 and no more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, or or you know, you could be, you know, you could be the author that gets the uh, the cover back, like a certain one that we're uh, I'm not gonna mention the name, uh, and trashes them on social media.
2: Oh yeah, don't do that! Oh no, no, oh, yeah, don't, do don't do, that. No, don't <laughs> do <that>. no.
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was really bad for him, his publisher, and his readership. Because I know a lot of people that stopped reading those books. So yeah, um, mm-hmm. but uh, so we're going to continue kind of go through this whole like control thing. Because I mean, I know you know when when you're self-publishing something, you have tons of control. And obviously, traditional, you kind of give up a lot of that. Do you have control over who your book gets sent to for like author blurbs? Do you have any input? Like, I think so and so would like this, or I mean, is your editor like I know this, 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 and this, we're gonna send them there? And obviously they probably send them to you know publishers weekly and Kirkus and all that stuff to get those, but specifically authors.
0: Yeah.
5: Hey Megan, how did your
1: book get
0: blurbed? Wait a second.
5: But mostly the editor kind of decides. You can make suggestions, um, especially if you have personal connections uh, with an author who you think might be a good fit for the blurb. Uh, you recommend that to your editor, and then the editor goes off and does the asking. You don't have to do that. Uh, Marina's joking around because our, our little writing group has a a long running joke about um how we need to complete the the ritual circle by having all of us circle. blurb each other's books and now i've blurred andrea stewart so we just need one more of us in the group yeah, to blurb the somebody yeah, else so we can get the ritual <laughs> circle complete <laughs> and take over the world <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, so I, mean, I, I think that's what it comes but, down you know, dark to. art
5: rituals usually aren't a part of the blurbing process. It's really not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: My editor did a lot of the legwork when it comes to the blurbing, um the blurbing. Listen to me, right? Um
4: the blurbing. The blurbing. The blurbing. <laughs> well, she did a
2: lot of uh the legwork um yeah, but I had some friends I um Contacted directly, and some authors who I knew, who I had like met at a convention, and who I knew would like it, and I would um, ask them very politely um, because uh, blurbing takes up a lot of time, mm-hmm. and um, authors uh, do not get paid to do it.
4: Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing to bear in mind is if your editor has connections, you have connections. Whoever they send it out to, um, you know. As, as an author, I can speak to this. You have all the best intentions in the world and then you get slammed with deadlines and maybe you have some personal stuff going on and you're falling behind, so you're not gonna read this book because you can't even like keep your head above water. So that to say that it's kind of like a little bit of a shotgun effect. They're gonna send it out to as many folks as they think might give it a shot as possible. You as the author should never expect that any of those people are actually gonna blurb it. And nine times out of 10 it has nothing to do with you. Um, it's just down to timing. And honestly, what they're really looking for is like one good pullout blurb that they can like throw in the front cover or in the back or wherever. If you get more than that, it's cool, but like that's really all that matters. And if you get a good trade review, they might use that instead of another author anyway, unless you get like, you know, one of the best sellers. So, so you have some control, but nobody has any control at the end of the day because yeah. it's really down to those authors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Scalzi had like, I think probably all of us uh, at one point or another will, but has that like weekly thing where he tweets out like a stack of books. And I was in there and a couple yeah. of authors were like, oh, you made it Ryan, but I know Scalzi never looked at it, which is cool. I don't expect him to. He's a nice yeah. guy. Being yeah,
3: hair. it's a It it's is a writing passage.
0: Yeah. It's, it's nice, I mean, but it's in it a picture on his Twitter account. That's all you need.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, I don't know if he's done a video of it or at least pictures, but like, Stephen King has a book, like a room devoted to arcs that he receives, and he'll just randomly go in and pick just a book. Yeah. And then he'll maybe blurb it. And, you know, that obviously a Stephen King blurb is massive because he has such a big, you know, following. But yeah, I feel like that's especially with the bigger name authors that if they just get sent a book, you know, just getting a picture on social media is probably already big enough not to mention a blurb on your book. and you know, then then you have us bloggers that are trying to get the word out, and uh, we try to get on those on those books, but you know, that doesn't normally happen. So well, I, I think um, that's about, why
4: John does it. I think that's why he does it, just because he knows he can't read all those, and he's a nice guy, so he throws it up there so that you can see it, um, and you know it does something. I think with mine, it was like all like older folks who like have passed away or like haven't written in a while, and they were like redoing them. And all these, it was very depressing because all these people were like, "Oh, I can't wait to read this version or reread this." And I'm like, but "I'm alive." And you. I knew. Yes, uh, so I am so also afraid. here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you know, the I think the other thing is that blurbs are cool. They're like a, they make you feel good when like uh, a blurb comes back in and against all odds, senpai has noticed you. Uh, it's it's great, but I think the general industry wisdom is that blurbs don't actually move that many copies of a book except in really extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, even trade reviews don't necessarily even move a book unless you are the kind of well-known figure whose name was already probably going to move the books on your own. Like, I'm not saying they hurt, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty sure I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of really nice blurbs, and I'm fairly certain that, like anecdotally, people bought my book because of blurbs, but I don't think it's going to be a statistically significant amount, you know?
5: Yeah. 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 I mean, trade well, definitely for booksellers. Um, yeah, and I mean.
3: booksellers, by the way, booksellers and librarians, for all you watching, they are really the people whose needle you want to move because they love books and they want to love your book and they want to get your book in contact with the exact kinds of people who will love it and buy more copies of it and tell more people about it so as exciting as it would be to get uh uh, you know a hot or big name author to notice you it's so much more important to do that outreach to the bookseller community and the librarian community, the school librarian community, if you write in the kid space, those are going to matter a whole lot more for a variety of reasons.
4: Mm-hmm. Go Man, I feel
1: like every time Paul says something, it's like a mic drop moment. I don't know about you guys, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like everybody is just silent when he's done. Do <laughs> <and rehearse. laughs> Yeah, and, you know, I, I talked on a panel earlier. Uh, I think it was the the, the self-pub versus traditional publishing uh, panel that I had. And we were talking about how, and and Paul was kind of alluding to as well, and I, and I think everybody kind of alluded to it, that, you know, the author blurbs really don't push a ton. I mean, unless those readerships see that and they're like, well, if, if Stephen King like this, I like it. Um, and then, and I don't put a whole lot of, you um, not thought, but I don't like I put a, I don't put a whole lot into like Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, or stuff. It's great to see when they get started reviews. That doesn't mean I'm going to like a book, though. Um, you know, it could be, it could be the greatest book ever ever written. Uh, but if if I can't engage in it, then I'm not going to continue to read into it. And I feel like, at least since I've been in kind of the book review community community, uh, I put a lot more into what other people that have my same reading tastes feel. So if, uh, you know, Patrick Leo at Novel Notions or Magzi at Biblio Sanctum or some other bigger uh, book blogs, if they say they like something and they give it five stars, I'm like, holy crap, I've got to read that book. Uh, But if they give it, you know, two or three, then I'm like, okay, maybe that wasn't for me either because we all have kind of the same level of reading styles and and what we like in the book and whether we can, you know, get in with the characters that are actually engaged in it, you know, if. If it falls flat then we're like all right we're done because i mean you know we get a lot of books as well we're we kind of are like uh you know authors that get books for blurbs that we just get tons of books and we have to weed through them and you know it's great to post about them but like man i feel like crap if i post about a book and i don't get around to it and it comes out and i'm like man um Next one up, I guess. Uh, we won't talk about that one anymore. Posting uh,
0: about a book is better than not posting about a book, even if you never read it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that—that's why I started a Bookstagram account because I'm like, I've got to get this out somewhere so where somebody may buy it based on just me talking about it. Uh, and then if I write a, you know, a review about a book and it gets retweeted by the author and the publisher or whatever, then I know stuff will kind of flow down the stream with that too. I'm not saying I'm a big name in book reviewing or anything because I'm not. Uh, but, you know, if, if I can put it somewhere, then that puts it on somebody else's radar.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's really what mm-hmm. all of this is about. So theoretically, if somebody sees my name on Megan's book and is like, oh, I liked her books. Maybe I'll like her books. Right. It's all about mm-hmm. trying to find every little niche where you could catch somebody who's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's the thing I'm interested in. And I understand this because somebody I like already read it or somebody, you know, exactly what you said. Maybe somebody will see it. Yeah, You don't know. There's so yeah. many ways to reach people kind of, yeah. again, shotgunning, trying to find as many ways to get it out there to as many different people as possible, right?
5: Right. Yeah. It all amounts to just multiple points of contact. Like. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, what's the statistic? You have to see a thing like seven or eight times before seven yeah, five, before seven it like times. penetrates your consciousness, and you're like, mm-hmm. maybe I should read that book with the with this idea that I just came up with spontaneously with no help.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's well, like it's trying to trying to weird. remember somebody's name. You know, I, I have to say somebody's name five times before I it clicks on me every time I see him. I'm like, oh, that's Paul. Okay, got it. You know, but. Man, I can see somebody every single day, but if I don't say their name out loud, I'll never remember it. And I just go, "Hey guy, hey, hey you," you know. I, I, yeah. I, I have no clue.
3: Anne Perkins.
1: <laughs> Anne Perkins. <laughs> somebody was going to say something. I don't remember who it was. It was Megan. Megan.
5: Oh, oh! I was just the seven points of contact thing. It's like it's just sort of a weird brain hacking thing. Cause like, I mean, we're, we're skittish animals, humans. So it's sort of like a slow assimilation. Like this is safe. This is okay. This is familiar. Oh wait, maybe I want this thing. Like it's just a gradual exposure until you hit some sort of weird saturation point.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. so this,
2: it's like buying something off of Facebook. It's when you three mm-hmm. or four or five times and you're just like, what is that thing? And then, and then you find yourself um, pressing go on it. <laughs> Have some moms all the time. I mean,
5: which is precisely why Facebook allows you to target people who already saw your ad but didn't interact with it.
4: <laughs> yep. <laughs>
1: Yeah, don't, don't go searching on Amazon and then get on Facebook right after because it's going to target you with the exact same thing that you just looked at. <laughs> Whether yeah. you wishlisted it or not, it's going to tell you, hey, you should probably buy that. You remember, you remember that thing you almost put in your cart?
2: <laughs> and psychologically, you know that's what they're doing. I mean, not mm-hmm. you know, you know exactly that's what you're doing, but you end up pressing the button anyway. Mm-hmm.
3: yeah
1: look, like look, man that was a great
3: decision <laughs> something has to fill the gaping hole where your self-esteem should be why not my book <laughs> <laughs> um so so we we've gotten to the
1: point where we're through edits we're through the cover uh cover art so now you have gotten a box in the mail and you believe it is your books what is your reaction to seeing your book for the first time in hand
0: it's very exciting.
1: <laughs> I mean, somebody said something. It's yeah. cool. it's, real. it's real. It's a thing that I did. And look, it
0: looks like somebody made it for real. And not just in my head.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not just on Scribner anymore. Or it's, a not, it's not. There. It's not stuck in my computer. It's
0: real. Mm-hmm. There, there
2: were tears over here. There were actual tears. I, I'm just going to confess that. I'll just be right open and say that I actually cried because um, you know you can you can convince yourself even after you get the deal and you're working with everyone and you can convince yourself you know, oh it's you know it's it's nothing, it's not nothing and and you get that book, you get that box and you open it up and you go, oh my God, it's not nothing. It exists. it's a thing. all this was worth it And then you yeah and then you cry and you're on the phone with your mom and your mom's like, why are you crying? And, you know and that's what happens.
1: What terrible thing happened to you? Why are you crying? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly.
2: really great, I promise. <laughs> Why are you crying? It's just, it's just my book. <laughs> it was it was it was a moment. It was it was one of those moments. And now you all know about it.
3: It sounds like there are tears that are well earned. They're tears that were a lifetime in the making. I cried like hell when I got my first copy of my first book. I cried like hell when I got my first copy of my second book. It's a hell of a thing to be able to shake hands with A friend who was heretofore imaginary. It's the best feeling in the world.
2: That's exactly the feeling. Totally. Again, a Paul. I know.
3: (laughs) I
4: I mean, I don't know. I I
3: don't mean to be awesome and
4: great at everything. It just happened. (laughs) Dang (laughs) it, Paul. (laughs) I mean, I think it's it's one of the lampposts early on, admittedly, because it's funny, I have a lot of friends who have been published for 10 or 12 years and so I don't know, jaded's the wrong word, but it's kind of a little bit old hat to them. And so they're like kind of like giggling at me. But I mean, when you're starting out, there's a couple of lampposts, you know, getting an agent, getting a deal, getting a physical copy of your book is is one of the big ones. And, um, you know, you can only control what you write. We talk about that all the time. It's totally true, but we're also all human. We like validation, uh, whether we want to admit it or not. And it's not necessarily healthy. But um, getting that validation in, in a solid physical format after however many years you've put into that, it's, it's powerful. So yeah, I mean, I, th- I don't think I cried, but I did, did get teary-eyed. Um, oh, I just I didn't, didn't cry. I think <laughs> I So, so uh, to counteract that, because I don't wanna put out that bad that of course I didn't cry. I'm <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, uh, when, when Don Juan left me a message saying that he would like to have a conversation, My wife will tell you that she's, she'll laugh about it. We just got home from dinner. I was like, wait, what is this? And I'm like, listening to it. And like, I collapsed on the floor. (laughs) She was like, what happened? Like an agent, I think they want to sign me. this is before he even offered. He just said he wanted to talk, but I was just like, so like, it was just such a huge moment. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big thing and you should totally treat it like a big thing and celebrate however you celebrate.
2: And then understand that on the other side, Everest is still there. (laughs)
4: <laughs>
2: it will always be there no matter what
1: <laughs> oh my goodness um i'm trying to think if i've got a if i've got like a really short answer <laughs> question to go um hmm. i guess okay your book is out Woo. what do you do next write the next book Hopefully, you're already doing that. But also, theoretically, you have
0: to sell your book. So you actually have to do things like. Yeah,
1: what's the balance between writing your next book? (laughs) Yeah, what's the balance between writing your next book and still trying to push this book that has just literally come out into, you know, bookstores?
0: It's very distracting. At least for me, like launch month is very distracting. There's a lot you're doing that is the authoring. I think it was Elizabeth Baer who was like, you don't realize when you're a writer, how much authoring you do rather than just writing, Mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of going to book signings and going to conventions and trying to get it out there and then writing essays that are guest posts and all sorts of things, right? Doing interviews, doing this, you know, (laughs) to try to like Mm -hmm. get yourself out there. Um, So there's a lot more of that. And generally speaking, it's okay. I feel pretty balanced, but definitely during like, my book is coming out now. is very hectic time for me
5: personally. I try to divide my days like pretty rigidly. So, like, I write first thing, and then I do all admin and marketing stuff after the words are done, um, whether it be actually drafting or editing, whatever needs to be done. Like, for the sake of the text, is done first thing in the morning, and then everything else comes after, and that saves, I think, my best, you know, creative brain energy. Uh, for for the hard the heavy lifting and then there's all the sort of crazy shiny admin stuff that comes after so well,
4: um, when, when velocity
5: Man. weapon sorry, when velocity weapon came out um it came out like two or three weeks i think before the second book was due and i was at um a writing retreat yeah. with marina and our writing group <laughs> And that was like probably one of the more stressful weeks of my life. <laughs> mm. I was like, I want to engage with all the cool writer friends that I have, but also I have a book due. But also I have a book that just came out that I need to continue promoting, and that that was too much. <laughs> so make sure you separate your deadlines from your release date. So that is,
0: if you can. Might not always work yeah. out that way, but if you can,
3: that's true. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm lucky. Friend of the show Dong Wan Song asked me if I wanted to be. On an annual release schedule or not, and I, and I kind of looked at the how, how much time it takes me to draft a book or revise a book, and factor in all the other authoring stuff to be done. And I was lucky that when I said no, I think I really got to be every other year. I forget if that's biannual or biennial, but it's one of those two words. Uh, and I'm luckily he was in my corner on it, and so was my editor when we told her that that was how it was going to have to be. Um, yeah sorry that was all I had to say
4: (laughs) (laughs) you're smart man I write really fast and uh relatively really fast and I'm on a yearly schedule and I can do it and it's it's okay but it is like just okay like uh because there is a bunch of other stuff you're gonna get that book back like three or four times before it's final final and that's why you're writing the second book and then you're gonna be editing the second book while you're promoting the first uh while you're starting to write the third it just it starts to compound um But I don't know what it's like to have the book out while you're still writing stuff. So I've been taking notes here.
3: Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, and there's basically.
4: Oh, sorry?
5: Yeah. Just just don't do what I did. That was. (laughs) I mean,
3: (laughs) there's kind of a deal with the devil you take depending on which option you go. If you go for a slower release schedule like me, then you don't have as much stress and your day to day life is better. But you're also you don't have as many books out, that you aren't as free to accept new offers, which means you aren't as free to accept more money, which means it's a little bit more difficult to sustain uh, like the full-time author lifestyle. Uh, But on the other hand, as Ryan pointed out, if you have the annual release schedule, you're out there more often, you're free for more work, uh, but everything does tend to compound on itself. And I know that I'm somebody who is bad at multitasking, even though I'm a reasonably fast writer. So I would rather take the extra time uh, and go a bit slower so I don't go crazy um, and hopefully turn out a book that will uh, be worth the wait. And that's kind of the gamble that I'm making for my career. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's any more valid for those of you listening than any of the other things that you uh want to use to build your career you have to talk with your agent talk with your editor about what's going to work for both publisher but most importantly what's going to work for you like you are the means of production here so you have to seize yourself and make sure that you were used ethically and well and treated appropriately
2: I, i always remember sometimes oh sorry I mean,
5: Sorry. I was just like, all these things are negotiable. Like the, the first book you go through, you'll probably hit some hiccups with like timing and issues and stuff like that. But I'm on my fifth book coming out now. And like, if if I need more time, I ask for more time, you know, and agents are happy to negotiate it for you. Editors literally usually want to give you more time because they want the better polished product in their hands. Um, like, all of these things are, are just Your personal preferences, your personal taste that you need to figure out for yourself and then adjust the world around you to suit them if you can.
2: (laughs) One of the things that, well, I think that's um, to to adjust the world around you to suit if you can, that's important if you can do that. Um, But it's also important to forgive yourself if you can't. Um, I had a baby in July, so I've been uh, writing a book while having a newborn and also trying to go 300% on everything. And I think uh, psychologically it works for me if I know I'm going to be going a h- like 300% this month, to have a month where you can pull back and be like, OK, I'm only going to wait for my copy edits or I'm only going to work on this delicious epilogue or something. And just be OK with that and know because you're going to get a lot of people who are who are doing other things um, and they're doing their careers differently than you. Um, and uh, I heard somewhere and I forget where I heard this first. I did not come up with it and I want to like you know hug the person that taught it to me because I t- I, I tell everyone, um, I think it was at viable paradise um, eyes on your own paper. Um, that's possibly the most important advice I've ever gotten to manage publishing is um, you're gonna go through it as you. Um, so if you need to go 300 um, percent, um on the month that you're going and then pull back then you can do that um but don't compare yourself to anyone else and just keep your eyes on your own paper um even when you're going through that crazy crazy time which i hope to go through soon <laughs> sorry
5: <laughs> it's coming soon it's coming it's coming it's ramping up
2: it's ramping up so
1: I gotcha well uh we are kind of at our link Uh, but i want everybody to take an opportunity to talk about you know a book that they want to you know like one that's coming out uh one they've just released uh and just kind of you know let everybody know what you know what you're working on now i guess if you have an opportunity just because i know in-person stuff is definitely uh next for the time being so karen if you want to start
2: oh me yes sorry (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's quite hot in here. So I'm just like, ah. Um, <laughs> this is Architects of Memory. It is my debut. It's out from Tor, Tor Books, um, wonderful people at Tor Books uh, on August 25th. Um, and I've been working on it for a very long time. Um, it's a story about a salvage engineer who uncovers something uh, very, very alien and very, very, very dangerous. And the story uh, surrounding that. And it has to do a lot with um, uh, health insurance um <laughs> health insurance and love, and um how to talk to aliens that you can't understand, possibly understand. um and it's it's just about a lot of wonderful things. Um, and I really hope that people will um, <coughs> enjoy it and pre-order it and um and read the sequel, which will be out sometime next year.
3: Fantastic, Paul. Uh, yeah, once again, my name is Paul. You can mostly find me on Twitter at NotLikeFreddy, where I yell a lot about cartoons and post pictures of my cat. And my cat, Wrigley, who you saw on the stream, if you want to support her and keep her eating uh, the wet food, the good stuff, uh, <laughs> by Steel Crow Saga, now out in the edition. Edition. Speaking of senpais, it has a lovely blurb by Aaron Morgenstern on it, uh, which, again, just speaking of senpais, I'm working on my next book. It comes out Uh, in 2021. We'll be releasing more about it soon, but I'll tell you all here on the stream. It is about organized crime, organized labor, the ways that the 1% uses them to keep each other down, and also Kung Fu, Wizards, and Revenge set in the 1920s backdrop. Nice. (laughs) Backdrop.
1: Stop that! (laughs) All right, Megan.
5: Uh, well, my next book is Chaos Vector, which comes out July twenty eighth, assuming you know paper still exists and is the thing that can be printed on. <laughs> by July twenty eighth, um, in ebook it will definitely exist, so that's a good thing. Uh, it's the direct sequel to Velocity Weapon, which you do absolutely need to have read um, to really get into Chaos Vector. And Velocity Weapon is about a gunnery sergeant in a war who wakes up on uh, an enemy spaceship all alone. She that the war she was fighting in when she was shot down ended 230 years ago, and the entire star system is dead all around her. And her enemy, the enemy spaceship, is now her lifeboat. It's and uh, as far as it's what I'm working good. on, <laughs> <laughs> as far as what I'm working on now, it's two uh, <laughs> sacred projects that, that shall not be named or spoken <laughs> of. <laughs> so mysterious end to that.
4: <laughs> Ryan. Uh, yeah, so um, The Sin and the steel comes out July 21st uh, from tour. It's about a Sherlockian teenager uh, named Sambukina Buckalhara and her uh, Watson-like partner named Eld. Um, <laughs> and so Buck has some, some long-term strategies to upend her society and to do that, she needs power. Unfortunately for her, the gods kind of have plans for her and she gets sucked into this mystery that she has to solve and along the way we, we encounter pirates and shape-shifting mages and undead gods and the like. Uh, unfortunately for everybody involved, Buck has plans as well. And so <laughs> that, that's coming out soon. Um, book two is, it's done. Uh, we're editing it right now. Um, my editor and I have gone back and forth a couple of times. We're kind of getting to the, the nitpicky part, which is great um, because it means that I can almost put that to bed. Um, and that's coming out next year. And then book three, I have the outline for, and I'm gonna start writing it uh, before the month ends. So hopefully we'll almost be done with the series by the time book one hits shelves. So Thanks. excited for you, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and Marina?
0: I have Numenon in August. The trilogy will be complete. So book one is Newmanon, book two is Numenon Infinity. Book three is Numenon Ultra. Um, So if you are looking for a space opera trilogy that is complete in August, there is one for you. Um, (laughs) It's about ancient alien megastructures and clones and AIs and it's all sorts of fun shit. Um, And then coming next spring is The Helm of Midnight, which is epic fantasy with serial killers. And I pitched it as Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn meets Silence of the Lambs. So that's, I don't have any pretty cover for you yet, but
1: i want
3: that so that bad. will be know, coming. Still <laughs> soon
0: in the spring
1: so awesome well uh everybody here uh just thank you all so much for wanting to take the time out of today to be on this panel uh, i know it's been like a month process trying to get all this taken care of but i'm just so grateful that all of y'all took the time out of today uh to come chat for the last uh, you know hour plus about publishing uh about books and just having a great time uh and it's been so nice meeting all of y'all uh, i know you know a couple of us have, have have chatted a little bit on social media and i know ryan and i had a podcast uh here recently but um it's all nice it's always nice to put a face with the voice and with the you know voice behind the social media account so uh, just thank you all so much, and I hope you all you know, enjoyed your time here. So. Yeah, thank you, thank yeah, you for everything. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And everybody uh, tuning in, make sure you check out all the books uh, by these fantastic authors, and uh, you know, look out for uh, Karen and Ryan's debuts coming out here very shortly. Uh, and otherwise, uh, enjoy the rest of y'all's weekend, guys. And uh, if y'all want to, we've got a, an author reading by Michael J. Sullivan coming up in about seven minutes, and then we've got another panel. Uh, last final of the day, which is surviving your debut with some phenomenal Aussie authors and a couple others. So uh, definitely stay tuned. But yeah, thanks again, guys. Thank listening to that thanks one. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye.